For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Take a deep inhale. You're outdoors. You can hear the birds chirping. It smells so good. It is spring out. Of course, if you're like me, you'll immediately start sneezing because you have seasonal allergies and there's pollen everywhere. But ignoring that, spring is beautiful. And it's a time when I notice the trees. I look up and I see these great giants that I live among blooming back to life. And I remember that trees are my incredible neighbors. They are these giants that can live for hundreds or even thousands of years. Trees have been living longer than the entirety of America. You might walk past a tree that was around during the Incan Empire. So to kick off spring and allergy season and celebrate the life of trees, we're gonna bring you two stories, two tree stories with our Places editors, Jonathan Carey and Michelle Cassidy. Jonathan has the first story. It takes us all the way back to the 1800s and to meet a truly magnificent tree. In Hampton, Virginia stands a magnificent oak, one that has seen a lot over the years. The tree is absolutely massive. It's 50 feet in height and about 100 feet in diameter. And it has these big branches that just reach outward and then just cascade down to the earth. The oak itself is estimated to be more than 200 years old, with suggestions that it may even be older. It's known as a witness tree, which is a term reserved for trees that have witnessed important historical moments. In fact, this tree is officially known as Emancipation Oak and is a living witness to two of the most important moments in Virginia and American history. Two moments that you may have never heard of. During the Civil War, Virginia was a Confederate pro-slavery territory. But near the tree, just east of Hampton, was Fort Monroe which remained under Union control throughout the Civil War. Known as Freedom's Fortress, the fort became a safe haven for blacks escaping slavery. Beyond the safe confines of Fort Freedom, the laws of Virginia were stifling. Virginia maintained strict anti-literacy laws that made it illegal to teach, reading, and writing to enslaved and free black people. 
However, in September 1861, Mary Smith Kelsey Peake gathered a group of formerly enslaved persons under the oak and began teaching them to read and write in bold and blatant defiance of the laws. Peake was the daughter of a free black woman and a prominent Englishman. When she was just six years old, she attended a school for black students in Alexandria, Virginia, where it's believed she learned mathematics, reading, writing, and sewing. By the time she was 24, Peake had moved to Hampton, Virginia, where she supported herself as a dressmaker by day and secretly taught literacy classes at her home at night. When much of Hampton was burned and destroyed by Confederate soldiers around 1861, Peake and her family relocated to Fort Monroe, where she began her classes under the oak. Peake would go on to become the first black teacher hired by the American Missionary Association and would eventually be provided a small cottage to hold her classes. But that wasn't the only time this tree witnessed history. In January 1863, Abraham Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation in Washington, D.C. Now, there obviously wasn't any radios or TVs back then, so copies of the proclamation made their way out to the rest of the country. And so, on a cold winter day that same month, January 1863, the black community of the Virginia Peninsula gathered under the oak. Some were formerly enslaved. Some were still enslaved. Some of them were likely former students of Mary Smith Kelsey Peake. Together, they all stood under those big cascading branches and listened as a Union soldier read the Emancipation Proclamation. It's believed to be the first reading of the document in the southern states. Cottage where Peak taught continued to be a place of education long after her death and eventually became the Hampton Normal and Education Institute, a place to educate free black men. One of its most astute graduates was none other than Booker T. Washington, who attended the college in the 1870s. Now, we get hundreds of entries that come through Atlas every week, but sometimes one really surprises us and just makes us have to sit back for a moment and reflect. You see, I grew up in Central Virginia, and I also have family that lives down in Hampton. And I never knew about this tree and its amazing history until this submission came to Atlas Obscura. And it really reminded me that fascinating places and wondrous history are often right under our noses. Oh, and... That school that started as a tiny cottage? Well, that school is now known as Hampton University and is recognized as an HBCU, a historically black college and university. Today, an iron fence protects the Emancipation Oak right by the entrance to the university, where you can also find a statue of Mary Kelsey Peake.
That tree has been living for over 200 years and will live for many more decades to come. Jonathan, thank you for sharing that uh, really amazing story. The next story comes from California, uh, and Michelle Cassidy is going to take us there. What you're hearing right now isn't bird song. Well, it sort of is, but it wasn't made by a real bird. It was made by Charles Kellogg, a vaudeville performer who became famous in the early 20th century for his uncanny ability to mimic the whistles, chirps, hoots, and trills of many different kinds of birds. He claimed that his larynx was shaped like a bird's and that he had a vocal range that spanned more octaves than a piano. He also fully believed that he could extinguish a flame with the power of his voice. Putting some of Kellogg's more outlandish claims aside, it's undeniable that he had a powerful voice. In addition to birdsong, he used it to argue for protecting birds and the habitats that they lived in. From 1917 to 1921, Charles Kellogg spread his message of conservation across the United States from the back of a log cabin on wheels. And when I say log cabin, I mean a single section of a log cut from a giant sequoia, which he hollowed out, fitted like a luxury yacht, and mounted onto the chassis of a military truck. This is the travel log. Charles Kellogg was born in 1868 in a mining town in Northern California. He grew up exploring the woods around his home where he became obsessed with learning how to talk to birds in their own language. If you've ever tried this, you know how hard it can be to perfectly match the elaborate patterns of a bird's song. But Kellogg had a real knack for it. As soon as he was finished with school, Kellogg took his talents to vaudeville, where he branded himself as the nature singer. He toured the country and became the headliner of a vaudeville troupe. Thousands of people came out to see the one-man aviary. In 1911, Kellogg started recording his bird imitations, sometimes with musical accompaniment. He even accompanied Alma Gluck, a star soprano in the Metropolitan Opera, on two songs, which went on to become some of the best-selling records of the 1910s. Kellogg's devotion to nature wasn't just an act. He was active in the conservation movement offstage, too, and he counted famous naturalists like John Muir and John Burroughs as his friends. In Kellogg's first published article, he wrote that people needed to wake up to the mania of killing birds and warned that hunting could lead to the absolute extermination of the feathered friends of humanity. And every time he returned to California, Kellogg was devastated by the sight of rapidly dwindling redwood forests. Those old growth forests supported a vast network of wildlife including the birds whose songs Kellogg carried with him. With each stand of trees cut down for lumber, their music grew a little quieter. In 
In Kellogg's autobiography, he described wanting to share the greatness and beauty of the redwood forests more broadly. But he couldn't bring his audience into the forests, so he went searching for a way to take the forest out into the world. His answer came in the form of a fallen tree from Bull Creek Flat, which Kellogg once called the most magnificent stand of redwood trees in the world. He took a 22-foot section of that tree and turned it into the world's first motorhome, as one does. This chunk of redwood weighed something like 40 tons. Once it had been painstakingly hollowed out, it clocked in closer to 11 tons, a big improvement, but still not quite roadworthy. After removing the bark, leaching out the sap, and letting the wood shell thoroughly dry out, the cabin had reached a much more reasonable 5,000 pounds. Inside, Kellogg carved out living quarters, a small kitchen, and a bathroom. It was finely appointed with running water, electricity, and even a small fireplace. He mounted the whole thing onto the heavy-duty chassis of a Nash Quad, a personal donation from the president of the Nash Motor Company, who was a big fan of Kellogg's work. He called his creation the Travelogue, and spent the next four years living in it while driving back and forth across the country on behalf of the Save the Redwoods League. The mobile home lumbered along at a top speed of just 18 miles per hour, carrying Kellogg in two cities big and small, at each stop, he would perform his bird songs and give tours inside the travelogue while making his impassioned plea to save California's redwoods. It's hard to measure the exact impact of Kellogg's traveling show. Though he was written about in newspapers and magazines across the country, the coverage often focused on his unusual vehicle and his talent for birdsong rather than his conservation message. But the Redwood Preservation Movement certainly found success. By the 1960s, tens of thousands of acres had been protected. And on October 2nd, 1968, Redwood National Park was officially dedicated. That was Charles Kellogg's 100th birthday. Unfortunately, he wasn't there to celebrate. After his travelogue journey had come to a close, Kellogg recorded a few more albums, traveled to Fiji and to France, and published an autobiography. When he died in 1949, the mobile home remained in the care of friends and family for several more decades before it was acquired by Humboldt Redwoods State Park. They restored it and put the travelogue on display in the park's visitor center. After years spent touring the country with Kellogg, offering people a small glimpse of the majesty of the redwoods. That tree came back home, and now it sits just a few miles from the grove where it grew for centuries. Next time you see a big, magnificent tree, give it a hug. Become a literal tree hugger. They are your most profound neighbors. Thank you 
to Michelle and Jonathan for these great stories. They're two examples of many, many tree stories we actually uh, have in Atlas Obscura. If you want to visit them or learn more about them, check out the website, atlasobscura.com, or look at the links in the show notes. See you next time. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes... Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley. Willis Ryder-Arnold. Baudelaire. Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is... Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by... Manolo Morales. And mixed by... Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. the waiting room tirerack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas simply shop tirerack.com for your next set of tires and at checkout choose tire rack mobile tire installation an expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on site at home at the office wherever you are you'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy tirerack.com the way tire buying should be Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you. And it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen.